Father's son, who oversees all. Detective came in, he said, Don't worry, I will find who took the bell. Hmm. Max bought the tickets and the owner ripped them in half. There's something magic about a half a movie ticket. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers to warm your heart and lift your spirit and give flight to your imagination. We're going to do a little of all of that on today's episode of The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you and to bring these stories into your home and into your heart. And on today's episode of The Appleseed, you know, most stories have some magic in them, right? Even true stories have a little bit of magic in them. They deliver us to another time, another place, to new people and new events or memories of familiar people and familiar events. They can teach us things about our own lives, even when the story might be completely different from the life that we live. We have some magical stories today. One has movie magic. One has healing magic. A young man learns to dance again after years of thinking he'd never dance again. Another story takes place in a magical world where the sea and the land and the sun can all talk to each other. And still another will uh, teach you of an almost magic trick to be able to keep talking forever without having to stop for a breath. And up first, we've got a story from Jay O'Callaghan. Jay has been lauded as a theater troupe inside one body. And he writes the plays he performs and has performed them at the Olympics, the Lincoln Center, and more. And when he isn't traveling, he runs a writing workshop at his home, and he loves listening to jazz and classical music and opera, and you hear a little of that sensibility in every story that he tells. And this story is about a boy named Max. When he's young, he had to get leg braces, and from there, the story begins to take some wild turns. He loved to dance and doesn't think he'll ever dance again. And of course, this story's filled with magic. There's a missing jewel called the Blue Pearl. There's a love interest. And of course, there's some dancing. Magic of a most peculiar kind. J.O. Callahan with the story Max here on The Appleseed. Max was 10 when he got braces. He got braces on his legs, not his teeth. The doctor said, Max... The muscles are degenerating. There's nothing we can do. I'm afraid you won't dance anymore. I want to dance. I know, Max. I'm sorry. Max, with his braces on, went to see his grandmother. And his grandmother, she lived on the main street of a lively, busy little city. She was in a second-floor apartment, and Max went up with those braces, told her the story, and she said, Nonsense, Max! You'll dance again. I can feel it. Get a paper route. Walk five miles in the morning, five miles in the afternoon. Strengthen the legs. So Max got a paper route. Every morning he'd be delivering the newspapers. He'd throw a newspaper up onto a porch and it would go thwap. And he would sing his grandmother's song. Let me call you sweetheart. Thwap. I'm in love with thwap. Let me hear you whisper, thwap, thwap, duplex. Max had gotten close to his grandmother when he was four. When he was four years old, he would spend the weekends with his grandmother. Saturday morning, she'd say, get up, Max, smell the bread at the bakery, let's go. They would run right across the street to Angelo's Bakery, get a big loaf of bread, and they would eat it next door at the jeweler's shop. 
The jeweler was a watery-eyed man who told wonderful stories about jewels. Max, there is a blue pearl on this earth, a blue pearl. Been around a thousand years. It's in the hands of the same family. They give it away and it always comes back to them. The blue pearl disappeared in the French Revolution, but then, Max, it turned up in Hollywood. But now it's gone, Max. Find me the blue pearl. I'll get you ice cream sundae. In the afternoon, Max and his grandmother would go to the movies. The movie theater was right across from the jeweler's shop. They'd watch the Hollywood musicals. Then back in the apartment, in the kitchen, she'd sit at the table and tap out the music with her fingers. Then she'd get up and she'd dance all around the kitchen. Now you, Max. Little Max would dance, you grab, you Max back and forth, and then she'd get serious. Max, if you're in love and you have a song, you can do anything. Magic. Your grandfather and I want a marriage. Everyone said, don't get married, no money, different religion. We had a great marriage, and we had a song. Your grandfather had black eyes. He would look at me and he would say, let me call you... Sweetheart, I'm in love with you. And I would sing the song to him. I would dance around like this. Let me call you sweetheart. She would dance around the kitchen. I'm in love with you. And then she would take Max by the wrists. And she would swing little Max all around the kitchen. Let me hear you whisper. Max's four-year-old heels had touched the ceiling. That you love me too. Then she would get serious again. I mean it, Max. If you're in love and you have a song, you can do anything. The ordinary laws don't apply. So he'd gotten close to his grandmother. Max kept that paper route year after year. Now Max was 17. Still had his braces on, he was delivering the afternoon newspaper, and he was about to throw a newspaper into the jeweler's shop when he stopped. Because there in the window of the jeweler's shop was Emma, jeweler's daughter. She was 17, straight and long black hair, and Emma, she was dressing up the window for Halloween. But there were more pumpkins than diamonds in the window now. Freshman year, Max had seen Emma dancing in a high school musical, and when Emma had leapt into the air, he had fallen in love. Today, he threw the newspaper in, and the jeweler said, Max, get me the blue pearl, I'll get your banana split. And then Emma came running out. She'd never done that. Max, wait a minute, wait. We just heard that the bank is closing Dad's store. Friday morning, 10 o'clock, they're coming. I'm so glad your grandmother didn't live to see this street. Look at the street. Three stores open. The mall has been open five years, and there are three stores left on this street, and we're closing. And she ran into the store. Max. He walked home, and he could almost hear his grandmother saying, if you're in love and you have a song, you can do anything. The ordinary laws don't apply. And he kept saying, what can I do? The ordinary laws don't apply. What can I do? It was raining when he got home. He went up to his room and Max looked out the window and... 
he saw a blue raindrop sliding down the glass. So Max got on the phone. He called the owner of the movie theater. I want you to open the movie theater Thursday night, and I know you've been closed five years. I'm going to pay for this. Now listen, this is the movie that I want. And it was arranged. Thursday night, Max went into the jewelry store. Emma, they just opened up the movie theater just a minute ago. A Gene Kelly movie. Come on. Max, Dad and I are taking inventory for the last time. Do you mind? And her father said, Emma, suppose we don't finish. What are they going to do? Go to the movies. Angry, she crossed the dark street with Max, and Emma was so surprised to see the owner of the movie theater back in the ticket booth the way he used to be. Max bought the tickets, and the owner ripped them in half. There's something magic about a half a movie ticket. Her anger dissolved. They went into the dark movie theater, and Gene Kelly was dancing in the movie, but there was no sound. They started down the aisle, and gradually Emma could see in the dark there was no one in the movie theater. They went all the way down to the front row, and she started to sit down, but Max took her hand, and Max led the two of them up the stairs, onto the stage, and then... He led the two of them easily, magically, through the movie screen into the movie. And in the movie, the rain was pouring down and they were getting soaking wet. And Gene Kelly was dancing in the rain. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. Gene Kelly leapt up onto a lamppost. And he was amazed to see these youngsters. Not Max, though. Max smiled and he pointed to Gene. Then he pointed to Emma. Gene Kelly leapt down, and he swept Emma up. And the two of them started to dance down the rainy street. And as they did, Max started to dance. Slide, 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 slide. Max was dancing with the braces on. Slide, 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 slide. And then, in the cafe in the movie, a bald man ran out into the rain and he said to Max, When you live in a movie, the same thing happens over and over. I've seen him do that dance a million times. Where did you come from? Just then, Gene Kelly set Emma down right beside them and the bald man stared at Emma. You're the one. We always know and you're the one. The bald man reached into his pocket, took out a jewel box, opened it, and put it in Emma's hand. Max peered into the jewel box. We've got to go. He took Emma by the hand, and the two of them stepped through the movie screen into the movie theater. They went running up the aisle. Wait a minute, kids. They turned. It was Gene Kelly waving. Good luck, kids. Thank you, Gene. And they ran, soaking wet, into the jewelry shop. Emma put the jewel box in her father's hand, and then she opened it. Where did you? The next day, the jewelry store was jammed with reporters. Ladies and gentlemen, the blue pearl has been found. Max was out on the street, and he could feel the street changing through his feet. And he was right. A month later, the bakery shop reopened with cappuccino.
a few years later, Max and Emma were married on that street. And the two of them, bride and groom, hand in hand, went walking down the middle of that street. There were hundreds of people lining the street, and they all began to sing as if they could hear his grandmother. Let me call you, sweetheart, I'm in love with you. Let me hear you whisper that you love me too. Keep the love light glowing in your eyes so true. Let me call you, sweetheart, I'm in love with you. Magic and dancing and an old song, Let Me Call You Sweetheart, in that performance of the story Max by J. O'Callaghan. Such a pleasure for me to bring that story to you today. And there's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear The Whistling Giant by Joe Pagliuca. You're going to hear Why It Rains by Kirk Waller, a little pourquoi story for you later on in the hour. And you're going to hear a rollicking number from Willie Claflin called Mistress Shady. You won't want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us a moment ago, we heard Jay O'Callaghan, the wonderful Massachusetts storyteller, with a story called Max, a story filled with hardship and with dancing and magic and a little music, too. It's a pleasure to bring that story to you. Coming up, you're going to hear from Willie Claflin and Joe Pagluca and Kirk Waller. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you that you might share with the people that you love. Here's a memory of mine, a memory of, well, a memory of performing a Shakespeare play. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. I have this thing that came into my life when I married my wife. She had, for many years, run a Shakespeare company for kid actors. Our kids and all the neighbor kids have been in this company at one time or another. And every once in a while, if we're lucky, she announces to us that she's going to include grown-ups in a production. This is cool partly because our kids are now mostly grown-ups, and it means they get to be in a show again, the ones who want to. But the kicker for me is that I get to be in a show too, and I love that. These shows are tiny, intimate things. Imagine something like a Shakespeare backyard house concert. In fact, imagine that very thing. Most of these shows are performed in an actual backyard. The audience is so close that you can just about reach out and touch them. And in the memory I'm thinking of now, we are doing one of these shows, an autumn performance of Shakespeare's As You Like It. And I'm playing Duke Sr., the banished Duke, banished by his cruel brother, Frederick, 
the other Duke. And Duke Sr., the banished brother, takes those faithful members of his entourage that will follow him, and they go and live out in the woods, in the forest of Arden. And when you're first introduced to Duke Sr., he gives this speech about how cool it is to live in the woods, even though it's sometimes too cold and sometimes too hot and sometimes windy and sometimes wintry out there. And here's the speech. I'll give it my best shot. He says, Now, my co-mates and brothers in exile, hath not old custom made this life more sweet than that of painted pomp? Are not these woods more free from peril than the envious court? Here feel we not the penalty of Adam, the season's difference, as the icy fang and churlish chiding of the winter's wind, which when it bites and blows upon my body, even till I shrink with cold, I smile and say, This is no flattery. These are counselors that feelingly persuade me what I am. Sweet are the uses of adversity, which, like the toad, ugly and venomous, wears yet a precious jewel in his head. And this, our life, exempt from public haunt, finds tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, sermons in stones, and good in everything. I would not change it. Well, that's the speech. And I'm giving this speech in the backyard production of As You Like It on a beautiful autumn evening when I talk about tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, and sermons in stones. I happen to look up, and the shade canopy covering what passes for a stage there in the backyard is tethered to the trunk of an enormous ponderosa pine, one of a pair of them that have stood next to each other for decades. And with my eyes, as I talk about how life in the woods is more free from peril than life at court, I follow those trees up and up, and the very tops of those trees, underlit by the bulbs we're using to light the show, are swaying in an autumn breeze against the deep blue of the evening, and the stars are just beginning to come out. And I'm completely arrested by the beauty of what I'm seeing. It all seems to go way down deep inside me at that moment. And I'm actually thinking, I guess, about my mom, who, when I was in high school, would each Saturday morning shake me awake at about five in the morning and ask me if I wanted to go hiking with her. We lived in those days in a valley ringed by mountains, and my folks took to spending Saturday mornings up in those mountains, hiking to one peak or another. And I was a teenager. I just wanted a Saturday. I didn't want to wake up at five for sure. So I'd grumble and I'd groan and I'd roll over and go back to sleep and didn't take them up on the offer of an early morning hike for a long time. And then one day I did. And being with my folks in the mountains, learning the names of flowers and learning to safely drink from streams and feeling the muscles in my legs getting stronger, all the ways in which being out there makes you more of a human being. Well, that's what I was remembering on that autumn night when, as Duke Sr., I looked up into the tops of those ponderosas. It was a wonderful, rich moment of reverie and communion with a tiny portion of the natural world in that backyard. And I thought that was it, a little moment just for me to treasure up among these Shakespearean moments I love as a sometime member of that company. But then I looked down again, down from the tops of the trees, and as the scene went on, for a moment I looked into the faces of our audience, and I saw among them the face of my son. 
He wasn't in the show. He's not even much of a Shakespeare fan, but he had come to see it with his fiancée, and as I got done with that Duke Sr. speech, I saw tears standing in his eyes. It was an incredible moment for me. He had been moved, and I was pretty sure it wasn't the acting chops of his old man that had moved him. That kid and I have stood together on the tops of mountain peaks and drunk from freezing streams and smelled the wild flowers in mountain meadows. And when Shakespeare puts those words in the mouth of Duke Sr. about tongues in trees and books in the running brooks, I know that my son has read some of those books, heard some of those tongues, and being invited by Shakespeare to think about it, made him cry, the happy tears of a powerful connection with the natural world. I have treasured that memory for many years, and I'll treasure it for many more. It comes to me as I step out my back door and into that backyard, even today, into that little corner of the natural world. I think of my mom, I think of my son, I think of those hikes, I think of the ponderosas in the yard. I even think of the wind and the winter of the world. And I'm inclined to say, along with Duke Sr., I would not change it. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. We always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share as stories with the people that you love. And coming up, a lot more. You're going to hear from Kirk Waller, Joe Pagliuca, Willie Claflin. You won't want to miss any of that. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Stories come into our lives in so many ways, from families passing them along, telling to telling, from radio and podcasts, through songs, and of course the things we see on screen, and from the pages of great books. And exploring all of the ways that great stories get into our hearts and minds is part of what we love here on the Appleseeds. Why it's a great pleasure for me to be joined by Rachel Wadham, a longtime member of our BYU radio family. Uh, I'm excited about what she's going to talk about today. This is um, a Marissa Meyer trilogy. Yes, you know, one of the things when you talk about stories getting into our hearts and minds, stories that really get into my heart and mind have to do about asking really interesting questions and then using the facility of fiction or using the storytelling medium to kind of explore those questions. And one of the recent series I've really loved that has got in my heart and mind because of this is Marissa Meyer's newest series, Renegades. And this is so exciting to us because we we had a great conversation with Marissa Meyer. She's amazing. And and I was unfamiliar with her work really before we met in the context of an interview. And you can find that interview, along with, of course, all of the episodes of The Appleseed at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. That's where the archive is. And if you search for Marissa Meyer, you'll find our great conversation there. So, yeah, check that out. Because yeah. she's it's great to hear it from her perspective. But one of the cool things about this trilogy is it really asks the question, what does it mean to be a hero? Yeah. And I think particularly in our storytelling culture today, we see a lot of heroism as part of our storytelling culture, particularly part 
part of our movie culture, sure, right? When yeah. we think about Marvel and all of these kinds of things. And we also look at a lot of different people that are heroes, right? We look at our military and yeah. our police force and all of these types of things. But then we have these pushbacks where our military or our police force or, or other people are not acting in a heroic way, even though we think that they should be heroes. Sure. And Marissa Meyer's series really goes into that question. So she asks, you know, what does it really mean to be a hero? What does it mean? What does being good mean? And, you know, does the ends justify the means? And how how do we look at these kinds of things? Because in this story, what happens is there is a young lady who is actually one of the villains in the story. And she has been trained by the top villain of the whole the whole story arc. But she believes that the people that they see as heroes are actually the vi- villains because they are the ones that destroyed her family and destroyed mm. her life. And so she sees them the real heroes, the rest of the world sees as heroes, as the ones that are not the heroes. And so she infiltrates them to try and bring them down, right? She's going to get revenge on them. (laughs) But as she gets into them, she realizes that there's more to their story than she first thought. Hmm. But they aren't as great as the world thinks they are. And there's this wonderful juxtaposition in the story of how the good people are not as good as we think they are, and the bad people are not as bad as we think they are and how do we reconcile that as a storyteller and this lovely arc through these three books of how she as a character does this reconciliation Mm. and I love it because structurally, when I think of stories, one of the things I structurally think about is how do you use character to advance the theme? Yeah. And she does a really great job of this, of developing this character who is in this position, who has this background, but yet then goes through this development arc to develop this theme of what does it really mean to be a hero? Mm. You know, again, it's the Renegades trilogy, yeah. right, by Marissa Meyer. And something that you said, I think, is... It, Sometimes we poke and poke and poke and poke at a problem trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes as far as we can get is... Boy, this is more complex than I thought at yeah. first. Right? Well, and that's one of the things I love about stories is because the reality is a question like this, what does it really mean to be a hero, doesn't have an answer. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, it doesn't. Yeah. And every philosopher on the planet could spend the rest of their lives figuring out what an answer might look like. But that's the cool thing about stories is it can provide us an answer. It doesn't necessarily have to provide us the answer because there's lots of other stories out there that wrestle with this kind of question and look at that kind of thing. One of my very favorite classics, um, Lloyd Alexander's Prydain Chronicles would connect with that as well. And so I see that this is a really cool way that stories allow us to do this. It allows us to explore a lot of different answers to this question and helps us express our imaginations in that way. What does this mean? And how does it mean in the context of this story? And how does it mean in the context of yeah, that story? I, and, and how do I apply this to my own life and I my own experience? Yeah, I yeah. can't count the number of times I've gone to somebody looking for an answer and the wise person with whom I'm speaking says, well, here's something to think about. <laughs> yeah. And here's something to think about. And they about. tell you a story. And, right? and you're like, about. okay, now what am I supposed to take from that? Right? <laughs> and you walk away yeah. thinking, ah, yeah. this is more complex than I yeah. thought it was. You know? Well, and the reality is for me that most of human life is like that. Yeah. Most of the most of the questions we wrestle with as humans don't have answers. Yeah. Or they at least don't have answers that are the same for everybody. Yeah. And stories are able to 
delve into that and get into that messy nature and come out with an answer that's satisfactory and interesting and fun and imaginary, but at the same time, give us some insight into what that might look for us as individuals. Because it really is about that personal connection and about how do we think about this and how do we think about this as individuals. And great stories like the Renegades Trilogy by Marissa Meyer can really help us get into that depth and think, okay, what does this really mean? Uh, Listen, (laughs) I can't count how many times on Facebook friends of mine have posted, help, I've just run through the last (laughs) series of books that I know about, and I've got a teenager who's hungry for more. Well, there's one. uh, Yeah, (laughs) Marissa Meyer and and the Renegade And hopefully we'll have future chats that we'll we'll go through some more, (laughs) because I know lots. (laughs) And Marissa Meyer has written a lot. She's a young writer. Young writer, still still developing and doing some amazing stuff. She's she's one of those writers that I definitely will say keep an eye on her because she's still got a lot of great stuff to come. And everything that she's written thus far I find to be really very well done and I I would recommend her generally as an author. Well, we're yeah. so grateful for the recommendation and glad as always of the visit from Rachel Wadham. Thanks so much. Thank you. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, and it's always such a pleasure to chat with our friend Rachel Wadham. We'll bring her back soon. Lots coming up. Up next, you're going to hear a story from Kirk Waller, a pourquoi story. A pourquoi story is a story that, in a storytelling way, explains why or how something got to be the way it is. The story is called Why It Rains, and it's coming up in just a minute. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed, We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us, a moment ago you heard a conversation with Rachel Wadham about the Marissa Myers book, Renegades. A pleasure to chat with Rachel. And coming up, we've got a story from Kirk Waller. This is a story called Why It Rains. And in this story, water and land are cast as siblings. And as in any sibling relationship, they bicker and fight about who's more powerful. That's just the beginning of the story. Here's Why It Rains from Kirk Waller here on The Appleseed. Long ago, when the earth was young, there was brother land, sister water, and father son. Like most brothers and sisters, the two played for many happy hours. But also, like many brothers and sisters, the two also fussed and fought. I am stronger than you, said Brother Land. I am earth and mountain and rock. There is nothing stronger than me. You may be strong, brother, right now, but let my waters wash over you again and again, and one day you will turn to sand and dust. (sighs) Well, as they grew, their arguments grew as well, and it came a time that they fought and fussed so much that they stopped speaking to one another. Sister Water held back the waters, and she sent no streams, no rivers, nothing. Over time, The ground grew dry and brittle, 
and hard and thirsty. We will see who needs who, said Sister Water. Now it was the people of the earth who suffered the most during this time. They could not live inland where it was warm. They had to huddle and gather near the cold, cold shores so they could get some water for their plants and to wash with and to drink. So one day they took their complaints to Brother Land himself. Brother land, why hate us so? Give us food, make it grow. Brother, we all are one. Water land and father son. Now brother land hung his head low. He put his arms around the people of the earth. He said, I would love more than anything to give you food and to make it grow. But my sister, the water, she will not send any waters this way. So nothing grows here. It is her fault. Go and speak to Sister Water if you want food. And so the people of the earth took their complaints to the waters who are cool and overflowing and full of life. Sister water, why hate us so? Give us water, let it flow. Sister, we all are one, water, land, and father, son. But Sister Water rose to greet the people of the earth as they brought their complaints to her. So, you want more water, water to drink, wash with, and water your plants with. Is that what you want? And with that, she took the form of a giant wave and knocked the people off of their feet, sending them running and scrambling back to their land, cold and dripping wet. Now Father's son, who oversees all, was very displeased. He came down to speak to Sister Water. My daughter, your brother does not want all of your waters, a trickle, a stream, so the people could live inland where it is warm and comfortable. They need you, and you in turn need them. When he was done talking, Sister Water folded her arms and looked him right in the eye. You are right about one thing. Father, son, they need me, but I do not need them. I do not need anyone. And with that, she disappeared into the waters. Father's son became angry. He was so angry that he grew hotter 
and hotter and hotter. He became so hot that the land and the waters began to grow warm and warmer and even warmer still. The waters became so warm that Sister Water began to feel it herself. She felt lighter, thinner, full of energy and life. And Sister Water wasn't even on a diet. She liked the way she felt and looked, but she couldn't understand why. She didn't know what was happening to her. But then she saw it. Because Father's son had grown so angry and had heated up the earth and the waters, tiny particles of the waters began to rise up into the sky. They rose up into the sky and they gathered and huddled in patches. And the patches became so full of the waters that they grew dark and heavy. The winds came and blew them across the lands. And when the patches became so heavy that they could no longer contain the water, they poured out over the earth. They poured and poured and poured. And that was the first time that it rained on the land. Brother Land was so overjoyed, he opened his mouth wide to greet the coming rain. And that was the very first lake. And it rained and rained some more. The waters began to overflow and, and form creeks and streams and rivers. In time, plants began to grow again. The people were able to move inland where it was warm and comfortable. They were so happy. And when Sister Water saw the joy on the faces of the children and the smiles on their parents. When she saw how happy her brother was, she smiled for the first time in a long time. And Sister Water realized that she really did need them. She needed their joy. She needed the love of her brother. And she realized that we all really are one. You and I, we all are one with one Kirk Waller with Why It Rains, a story that begins with two squabbling siblings, water and land. And up next, we've got a story from Big Joe Pagliuca. This is a story called The Whistling Giant. And, of course, it starts off in a small woodside community where the residents are guided through the day by a large bell tower, and their lives are disrupted when the bell suddenly disappears. What happens after that? Well, here's the story. Big Joe Pagliuco with The Whistling Giant, here on The Appleseed. This is a story called The Whistling Giant. Once upon a time, way out west, 
there was a town. In the town they had a great big tower, and in the great big tower they had a great big bell. Now every night the people would go to sleep, and every morning the bell would ring, and everybody would wake up. Every night they'd go to sleep, and every morning the bell would ring. And everybody would wake up. Hmm. Well, one morning they woke up. Hmm. And they didn't hear a bell. And the people said, that's strange. Where's the bell? Well, they went out to the middle of town to see. When they got there, there was the man that rang the bell. His name was Gus. And they said, Gus, what happened to the bell? And he said, I don't know. I pulled the rope and nothing happened. Well, they climbed up the bell tower to see. When they got up there, that's when they saw it. The bell was gone. They said, hey, somebody stole our bell. Who could have taken our bell? That bell was huge. Well, they searched around town, but they couldn't figure it out. So they called in a detective. And the detective came in. He said, don't worry. I will find who took the bell. Hmm. They searched around town for clues. Let me see here. Clue, clue, clue. It, it, it's not a clue, just a little boy. How you doing? <laughs> and he searched around and he couldn't find anything. And all of a sudden he found a great big footprint. And he said, aha, that is a very big footprint. And whoever made the very big footprint took the very big bell. Mm -hmm. And I know who made the footprint. This footprint was made by a frog. No, wait, 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 wait. That couldn't be it. Wait, I got it. This footprint was made by a cow. No, no, no. That couldn't be it either. Wait, I got it. This footprint was made by an elephant wearing underwear. No, 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 probably not that either. But all of a sudden, the ground shook. And there, standing in the middle of the forest, was a great big giant. And the giant stood as tall as the trees. And he had a big long beard, a big mean face, and great big muscles. And he had the bell under his arm, and he said, Hey, this bell sounds pretty good to me. I think I'm going to keep it. Yeah. This bell is my bell now, and you can't have it. Well, the people wanted the bell. That was their bell, so they ran at the giant. But the giant just took his big foot, and he banged on the ground. And everybody jumped. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. And the giant went and sat in the middle of the forest. And when he did, the people took a rope, and they put a rope across the forest, and they said, don't anybody go past that rope, because past that rope is a giant, and that giant will eat you up. Well, nobody went past the rope because they were afraid of the giant. But there was a little boy in that town. His name was Joe, and he was a farm boy. And he was walking along with his pet cow, Bessie. Hello. And he got up to the rope, and he said to his cow, Psst, hey, Bessie, you want to go see the giant? And Bessie said, no, giant's very big. I don't go see the giant. No way. He said, come on, let's go. No way. What part didn't you understand? It's a giant. I don't want to go see a giant. And he said, come on, let's go. And so he convinced her, and they snuck under the rope to go see the giant. And they tiptoed on over to where the giant was. And they hid behind a rock and looked over. And when they did, there sat the giant. And the giant was sitting next to the bell, and the giant was doing something very strange with his lips. The giant was doing this. (laughs) 
giant said, oh, fiddlesticks, I can't whistle. Now, when he said he couldn't whistle, when he said he couldn't whistle, that gave Joe a great idea. Joe took his cow by the leash and walked her on over to where that giant was. When he got there, the giant looked down at him, and the giant said, Hey, you, what are you doing here? I'm a giant, and I can crush you with my fingers if I wanted to. And Joe said, Yeah, I bet you could, Mr. Giant, but you know what? I bet you there's something you can't do. And the giant said, What? I could do everything. I'm a giant. But all right, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you four things to do. If you can do them all, then you win. And if you can't do them all, then I win. And the giant said, well, what do you win? He said, well, if you can't do all four things, you have to bring the bell back to town and you have to leave town and never come back. And the giant said, all right, sounds good. He said, uh, but what happens if I win and I can do all four things, which I know I can? He said, well then, Mr. Giant, you get to eat my cow. Yeah, eat my... Wait a minute. Cow? That's me! Wait, you, you can't eat me. No, no, no way. No way! Don't worry. Don't worry, Bessie. I have a plan. You better have a plan. Well, the giant licked his big hungry lips and he said, Hmm, I haven't eaten a cow in a long time. I said, alrighty, you got yourself a deal. He said, what's thing number one? He said, well, Mr. Giant, you see that rock over there? I bet you can't lift it. Now, there was a rock over there as big as somebody's house. Big, huge boulder. And the giant went on over to it, took his great big muscles, grabbed hold of that rock, lifted it up, and then put it back down. And the giant said, that was easy. He said, what's thing number two? And Joe said, well, Mr. Giant, you see that cloud way up there? I bet you can't touch it. And the giant said, no problem. And the giant looked up, looked way up at that cloud floating way above the town. And he went over and he bent his knees really low, jumped up really, really high. And he went, plump, hit the cloud and the cloud drifted away. And when he came back down, the giant smiled and he said, oh boy. Only two more things, and then I'm having cow sandwiches. Mm-mm. Well, he looked down, and he looked at Joe, and he said, Well, what's thing number three? And he said, Well, Mr. Giant, you see that tree over there? I bet you can't break it. And there was a big, huge tree just standing there, and the giant went on over to it, took his great big hand, he didn't even need two hands, swung at the tree, and he went, ah hit the tree and the tree exploded into a million pieces. When all the dust settled and everything cleared, the giant smiled. He said, oh boy, only one more thing, <laughs> and then I'm eating your cow. And he looked down at Joe and he said, all right, what's thing number four? And Joe looked up at him and he said, Mr. Giant, I bet you can't whistle. And the giant said, I could do that. Ready? <laughs> oh, wait, wait, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. <laughs> he said, wait, no, no, watch, watch. I'll get him. Um, um, hum. He said, no, that's a hum, Mr. Giant. He said, um, um, ah. he said, no, that's a yell, Mr. Giant. 
Then um um. I said, "No, that's a rooster." He said, "Um, um." No, man, that's a yodel. He said, "I'll give you one more chance." And the giant put his lips together, and the giant went. And the giant said, "Oh, fiddlesticks! I can't whistle." So just like he promised Joe, he took the bell and he brought the bell back to town. And Bessie the cow was safe. Hooray! Yahoo! I'm not gonna be a giant's dinner. This is a good day for me. And plus, I'm a talking cow, so it's all good, baby. It's all good. Well, he put the bell back, and he was just about ready to leave town. But Joe called him. He said, "Mr. Giant, pick me up." And the Giant picked him up. He said, "What could I do for you?" He said, all you got to do to whistle, Mr. Giant, is get your lips together like a circle, get them wet, and blow some air through them. So Giant got his lips wet, made them like a circle, blew some air, and the Giant went. <whistles> said, whoa, I could whistle. He said, thanks, buddy. And he put Joe back down. He left town forever. Well, no one in that town ever saw that Giant again. But you know what? If you go to that town this very day and you go to the top of the hill and you listen really hard... You can hear something whistling, and I'm pretty sure that something is a giant. And that is the end. Joe Pagliuca with The Whistling Giant, a story about a courageous cow, a giant, and how to whistle. And we're going to wrap up today with a story from Willie Claflin, a favorite at festivals across the United States, and uh, not only a storyteller, but a musician as well. And this story involves a song, and not only a song, but a contest, too, a contest to see who can hold their breath the longest, and not just hold your breath, but sing the longest without stopping. And at the end of the story, listen for a secret trick to help you be able to sing forever without stopping. Just what you needed, right? Here's Willie Claflin with Mistress Shady here on The Appleseed. Let us wrap this up with a, a contest. This is not a good idea, but we used to do it anyway. We used to see how long we could hold our breath. It's not a good, but everybody does it until they get tired of how uncomfortable it is. And the test for us about who could hold their breath the longest was who could actually take the deepest breath and sing the longest. And so what we did was we took an old kindergarten tune and we saw how long we could sing the song. The song was called Mistress Shady. Mistress Shady was a lady. And she had a daughter. And the person singing the song, he falls in love with the daughter and he comes to see the daughter every day. He comes to see the daughter every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon at half past four. So we used to see how many weeks we could sing on one breath of air. So it would start off simply enough like this. Oh, Mistress Shady, she was a lady. She had a daughter I adore. I used to court her, I mean the daughter. Every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon at half past four. And then we go on to two weeks. We go, oh, Mistress Shady, she was a lady. She had a daughter that I adore. I used to court her, I mean the daughter. We take a big breath and go, every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon at half past four. And then we go on to three weeks. Oh, Mistress Shady, she was a lady. She had a daughter that I adore. I used to call. 
Every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon at half past four. Okay, on we go to four weeks on one breath of air. Oh, Mistress Shady, she was a lady. She had a daughter that I adore. I used to court her, I mean the daughter. Every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon at half past four. Okay, let's see, let's try five weeks. Here we go. Oh, Mistress Shady, she was a lady. She had a daughter that I adore. I used to court her, I mean the daughter. Huge breath. Every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 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 Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon at half past four. Okay. Shady, six weeks was a lady good. She had a daughter that I adore. I used to court her, I mean the daughter. <gasps> Every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 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 Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon at half past four. Mistress Shane. So we'll try seven weeks, but here's a tip for you. Um, I had a friend in the third grade, and he said, uh, I can sing a hundred verses. And I said, well, how do you do that? And he said, well, you know, when you run out of air, what you, all you have to do when you run out of air is you just start breathing in. You start singing while you're breathing in. And I said, well, how do you do that? And he said, well, you can do that talking, too. He said, like this, you can talk while you're breathing in. You don't just have to talk while you're breathing out. That way, when you run out of air, every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you think you're about to die. Wednesday, Thursday, you can just start singing backwards. Saturday after Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon. Pretty soon, you have a great big lung full of air again. You can go on singing. Now, the neat part about this is that you can now talk from the time you get up in the morning until the time you go to bed at night, and you can never, 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 never stop, because it's very rude to interrupt people while they're talking. You have to wait for a little, you know, grown-ups, they talk and talk and talk. You're kind of waiting, dodging around, hoping there'll be a little opening where you can start talking like that. They say, don't interrupt me when I'm talking. You know, you kind of wait and wait and wait. Well, this way you can talk. You, mom and dad will never be able to interrupt you because you never have a pause in the time you get up in the morning until the time you go to bed at night. Non-stop talking 24 hours a day, even in your sleep. You could train yourself to do this. So if you run out of air as we try seven weeks here, remember, if you run out of air, just start singing backwards and you'll be able to get through to the end of the song. And here we go. Oh, Mistress Shady, she was a lady. She had a daughter that I adore. I used to court her, I mean the daughter. 
Every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 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 Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon at half past four. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mistress Shady from Willie Claflin from a collection of stories and songs called The Wolf Under the Bed. That wraps up an hour filled with stories from not only Willie, but Joe Pagliuca and Kirk Waller and Jay O'Callaghan and more. We invite you to join us again, and we invite you to join us online at byuradio.org, where we have not only these hour-long episodes of the Appleseed for you to listen to, but also Appleseed Extras, mini-episodes of the show, just a single story story long, just a few minutes long, in case you only have a few minutes and you want to fill those few minutes with a great story. I'm Sam Payne. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. Can't wait to be with you again on The Apple Seed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.